0: Hey everybody, welcome back to another exciting X's for Podcast, the show we take a look at mutants, magic, and marvels week after week through their many monthly titles. I'm Nico, and you guys can find me on Twitter and Instagram at NicoAction. That's N-I-C-O-A-C-T-I-O-N. Today we're going to be taking a look at the mutant side of things with Marauders number 26 and Sword number 11. As of today, January 5th, Inferno has come to its close. Now here on X's for Podcast, we do do our best to make sure that the material that discusses Wednesday's books stays pretty spoiler locked. Anybody who listens knows that If we're going to talk about the title, we're of course going to talk heavily about spoilers. So in order to make sure that Inferno, which has been years in the making and building towards this incredible finale, stays locked the way it should, we're going to delay any Inferno coverage until next week. And instead this week, I do want to take a look at a sort of surprise X-Men appearance that I hadn't seen coming. Now, one of the big things that we've definitely seen with Inferno, as well as the bulk of John Hickman's run, is a sort of running thread of real world chaos, a Affecting our comics, and of course, the real world chaos is so much more central and important to be focusing on. So when stuff happens to comics, you know, we try to find a way to to work around it and be okay with it. And one of the things that Marvel did to try and get around paper shortages, shipping delays, difficulty being in store is a higher focus on Marvel Unlimited and the Infinite Comics. And I am a really big fan of this format. I've been reading my comics digitally for a really long time, and certainly the transition to covering House of X live where a number of those issues House of x powers of 10 had the possibility of selling out I knew I wanted to be able to record you know I definitely got pushed to reading digitally and Marvel unlimited has certainly worked hard to earn my fandom at this point it was not necessarily my favorite app when it first came out but the number of special series and of things that are making their way on there really is starting to help offset a lot of what's going on in the comic industry right now now. And as of today, a unique title appeared, which is the Infinite Possibilities Infinity Comic Number 1. And this has writing and pencils and inks by Jeffo with colors by D. Cunefe, and it was edited by Stephen Wacker. And as soon as I opened it, I was a little surprised because I thought it would perhaps be a little bit more like a standard Marvel Infinity comic, where it was going to have a narrative and occasionally maybe even feel like it goes on too long. But it just starts with... The future of Marvel Unlimited is dot, dot, dot. And then there's a long black scroll before you hit character, adjective, character, adjective. And it's a number of the characters that we cover here on X's for Podcast, including Moon Knight, Ms. Marvel, She-Hulk, Doctor Strange, Kate Bishop, and of course, big time Scarlet Witch. But one of the things I thought was really amazing was it wasn't just that mutants got included on this, which has been a long time coming. The reemergence of mutants in the Marvel proper narrative really was long overdue. And I'm very excited about the potentiality of perhaps an X-Men Avengers sort of union going into this summer crossover. But we also saw a number of amazing X-Men characters like Mystique, Iceman... And Wolverine, and of course, by Wolverine I mean Laura. But then there were two additions here that just I couldn't I couldn't not mention. Number one, everybody's favorite Jeff. Now we covered the entire It's Jeff Infinity comic here. We loved it. We can't wait for season two. It was a brilliant use of incredible creators on an absurdly popular property, and we were big time fans of the inclusion of Jeff on Marvel Unlimited. And so his appearing here was wonderful. But I need to go out of my way and say that I couldn't not believe Brute Force made an appearance in this special. So Brute Force is a big thing for us here on the network. I have made us cover it a number of times. I just think it's really great that Marvel is starting to say, hey, you know what? Let's not just leave all of the maybe less overtly commercial popular characters for fan artists. Let's make sure that we're also producing some of that material ourselves. Of course, you know we should be encouraging fan art and the next generation of voices as well, so I'm not trying to take anything from the fan artists. But, you know, it's nice to see Marvel properly acknowledge these sorts of characters, like Brute Force, like Jeff the Land Shark, and you know, for the last couple of years, like Dupe. These characters for whom so much of the fandom feels like, hey, that's a deep cut that I know because I'm a big fan, right? It's that sort of vibe that I think is really starting to make Marvel Unlimited feel a little bit more special and a little bit less... Forgettable. Now, I do want to also point out that there was another Marvel holiday special involving the X-Men that we have not yet covered, the mighty Marvel holiday special Iceman's New Year's Resolutions Infinity comic, which was published on December 30th, which will be covered by myself and Kyle. Now, that issue is a one-and-done solo project by Luciano Vecchio, who is just incredibly talented, so we cannot wait to cover that here on X's for Podcast. But on to the proper mutant stories that we're going to be looking at today, Marauders 20 represents the end of an era in so many ways i mean even if the book goes on another 30 issues we all felt very much here like this put to bed a lot of those earliest marauder stories that just sort of felt maybe like they left dangling a little bit because we had to focus on kate who you know after so many years let's focus on kate we needed to make sure there was enough time for aurora before she found her way over to sword which is where we're going to wind up next so guys enjoy this next segment marauders 26 and don't forget if you guys like what you hear you you might even like what you see, so give us a subscribe over on YouTube and Twitter at X's for Podcasts. Hey, everybody, welcome back to X's for Podcast, the show where we take a look at comics, mutants, magic, and marvels week after week through their many marauding titles. Now, I'm Nico, and you guys can check me out on Twitter and Instagram at Nico Action. That's NicoAction. That's
1: N I C O A C T I O N. And I'm Raven, aka Dame Red Bento. You can find me over on TikTok, Twitter, Instagram. Just start a conversation with me. Trust me, I got plenty to say.
2: <laughs> Understatement. Hi, I'm Hydodo. <laughs> you can find me at Mr. Toy Box on Twitter and Instagram.
1: And we are here today to
0: talk about what seems to be one of if not the final issue of good Old Uncle Jerry's Marauders. Now, Marauders has been such an interesting title. You know, for a book whose name was born of a mutant hit squad that is responsible Ooh. for one of the greatest terrorist attacks on mutant kind ever, and are vaguely responsible for an extermination of a peoples, Jerry Dugan did manage to convince me why this should be Marauders. Alright, then we hit 10 of i feel like marauders kind of lost its rudder after ten of swords did
1: it have one did it really really have one storm uh, yeah I I mean, mean, well yeah there, there were threads
2: we were getting a lot of hellfire drama with kate's you know kate dying and the resurrection and like there was intrigue and there was the black market and whatnot it did kind of flounder for a bit like we were just you know in space with the marauders recently and <laughs> that you know in hindsight it really did it feel like a super necessary or and they don't all have to be necessary but at least make it fun and interesting and and something new and that space story really wasn't it this issue that we're covering today was an absolute delight because like this is a return Mm -hmm. to that hellfire drama that i live for
1: what you live for drama no (laughs) and Okay,
0: so I think that's a really good point. To segue into the creative credits, we're here today to cover Marauders 26, written by Jerry Dugan, with art by Matteo Loli, colorist is Rain Barreto, VC's Corey Pettit, killing it on letters. This book's letters are fucking amazing. And Tom Muller on Ooh. overall design. I also need to say that this might be the most vibrant, shiny, exciting, happy colors I have seen since I was like 13 years old and discovered photo- photoshop had millions of colors to choose from like i cannot handle how incredible Rainbow
1: colors are on this title it's like looking at rainbow sherbert in comic yes. form i love it yeah
2: the colors are incredible uh, the, so, the color of harry leland's beard brings me so much oh joy my God, yes. it's like sunburnt orange
0: ginger daddy bod is like and it's like thick meaty dad bod it's like mm-hmm. a well worked out kelsey grammer you know what I mean. <laughs> so it's it's a look we want, oh, and God,
1: yeah to
0: open. I actually really kind of love that opening sequence. I thought there was something so charming about the way Jerry was like, I'm going to channel everything I've been using in my flashback sequences, and I'm going to tie it back together. There was a storytelling narrative device that was a, a really a really positive thing. I felt like Jerry Dugan effortlessly pulled together the elements that created the suspension and fear of the Chris Claremont, their coming after the inner circle, oh god it's Nimrod era, and he <laughs> transplanted it right into the bright energy of the Krakoan era, and there was something that was effortless, and that that's what made him Jerry Dugan. I just I really thought this opening sequence was one of the most tremendous things he has churned out in his time at the X office, because it brilliantly has built on everything he's done.
2: Well, and I love it because it also kind of resets and recontextualizes a little bit of Emma and sebastian's relationship at this point i'm i, I know sebastian shaw has done horrible. Things. I know that even a redeemed Shaw is still probably going to fuck you over. I'm glad that they're working together again. I'm glad that they they seem to have this little bit of a camaraderie. Or as uh, Harry says, it's nice to see that you two have buried that hatchet with the White Queen. <laughs> like the one thing that was missing from this book for me was giving Harry a Hellfire title. But mm. right away, I kind of headcanoned that as well. That would be a conflict of interest with the title he does get. He's the you know maybe the Red King or maybe the Black uh, Black Knight. I don't know. But...
1: I just call him Daddy. <laughs> i i have to agree with you guys on this it, it was it was really nice to actually get some some context for this character in how his relationship works with um, emma and sebastian and it was also nice that they humanized sebastian just a touch because if you just had a character with no redemptive quality what's really the point of having him on this paradise island you know doing this because you know that he's just it's like sinister there are times i'm like why did they have sinister around because you know sinister is going to like screw you all over for for a nickel and a pat on the head kind of thing but it was nice to see sebastian shaw given a little bit of humanity and like seeing that he's not just a straight up constantly bad guy i'm um, so sorry only- i, I hmm? have
0: to jump in no you you've raised a really you've you've said something now raven and now i have Ooh. to know mm-hmm. guys is what mr sinister has considered a flat top Yes, Yes. is it the weightiest flat top
2: ever? Nineties Sinister had a flat top. Nowadays, Sinister has more of a like a mullet kind of vibe going. Yeah, got some some luscious hair.
0: Okay, please continue. I'm so sorry. I had to know. (laughs)
1: no you're right you're right he did have it was it, it's it was so sculpted i just figured he's in the mirror for like a good hour hour and a half every day just sculpting his hair so you know you know okay.
2: <laughs> you know who doesn't have to sculpt their hair is harry Leland. it's just natural mm. and it's beautiful and here's here's something that i love that jerry pulls off in in this issue and uh lowly art is definitely you know half that equation at least we never got a whole lot of harry Leland, even back in the day mm. even when he was alive and part of the hellfire club he was always second fiddle to you know emma and sebastian and he had some lines or whatever but like you never had like a a lot of interior life of harry Leela, right so Mm -hmm. in a way we have a little bit of a a a bit of a blank canvas where you can resurrect him and put all sorts of different personalities on and i love that the decision here was we're going to make a character that everyone's going to just love right away we're going to make a a grown man that cries tears of joy and and just wants to hug Everybody and is just so fucking happy to be here and so appreciative and and I think that was just a neat trick. He's back and he's more endearing than he's ever been and it doesn't feel corny. It feels earned. It feels it feels great.
1: Absolutely and honestly, I only had one tiny critique of of the opening sequence and that is putting Emma in that fucking tea little panty set. Like, I
2: loved it. I will. I, I,
1: hate it. It. I will. I will always hate that particular look though because you got these guys in these beautiful full like 1700s gorgeousness going on and then you got her in this gorgeous fur cape with a brawn panty set on it just hits all my
2: all my nostalgia buttons like that was like the one time i I bought an issue of new warriors it was because she Mm -hmm. was wearing this on the cover and uh
1: and like i totally get nostalgia and whatnot but as a as a woman it's so played out to have a woman running around in her underwear and it's just like This is Emma goddamn Frost. Where's the Gucci? At least make this shit Fenty.
2: So you're saying keep it slutty, but make it expensive.
1: Yes. Well, that's modern day Emma.
2: That's modern day Emma. Is I mean, and and less slutty nowadays. Now she's looking more you know business professional, but always a little sexy. Always sexy. But like this was you know this was to like coax Harry into thinking he's you know it's the good old days back Hellfire Club when literally that's all ever wore. I would have killed to have a little bit of Sage, a little oh, Tessa, yes. a little you know get that she's over on X Force, and she, I'm sure she has a lot of complicated feeling about Shaw and possibly Liam as well. So
1: you know who knows. she yeah, she would have been nice in here. We need more sage.
0: There's this sort of decision that you can only have one badass chicken eyewear or something. <laughs> and so instead we get Kalisto, which I'm super here for. And look, I think Kalisto has launched some of the most arguments on this show ever. <laughs> and it's really stunning how it happens. You all have very certain Loving opinions of who Callisto is or isn't, and mm-hmm. you're willing to fight to the death, it would seem, which Callisto mm-hmm. really loves. And I...
2: I'm i about to start arguing about if it's Callisto or Callisto, um, you know. But, anyways, you know, I was, I missed that Bishop and Pyro weren't here. Although, mm. shout out to Pyro because he was mentioned in the data page, and I love that Dugan is doing this, tapping on or, or pulling that string that Pyro was a. A romance novelist and he wrote under nom de plume of a female author and he's a prolific writer and I love that in the data pages Pyro has written you know the details of the backstory of where Harry Leland has been but mm-hmm. anyways I, I miss that they weren't actually on the panel but my heart sang when I saw Callisto a little less so when I saw Christian Frost because <laughs> I let. can we talk about that the Christian Frost of it all he and Bobby early on in Marauders were seemed hot heavy we saw them like in bathrobes it was like heavily implied they're hooking up they're mm-hmm. they're a thing and I do not need all the gays to couple up and, and marry off like they don't need to be boyfriends but I was just interested in the lack of any interaction between the two of them you know like has everything cooled down I mean I think part of the you know the point of this is uh, <laughs> that wasn't Sorry. purpose between Frost <laughs> and
0: Iceman <laughs> did it cool down <laughs>
2: that shit that wasn't even on purpose you guys. I, uh, I can't even, I can't even... (laughs) Politics, what a cool but. couple. Yeah, yeah. Chill out.
1: Come on, guys, chill.
2: The other point of this story was Iceman is going through some Omega Mutant feels, and where is, you know, the the where does his power end? And you know, so I get that he's not like in a in a headspace to be boyfriending right now. But it's just weird. Like this is the first time we see them on panel in together in a while, and like there's just none there. So
1: Well, honestly, you could throw Christian Frost overboard yet again, face down and I would not give a shit.
2: And it would not impact this plot at all. Like oh, no. you literally go and erase Christian Frost from every panel and nothing changes.
0: So, mm-hmm. but so I'm not a big Iceman guy in general. I don't, I just don't. And I'm so happy for this Ice a that the whole world is having. And I'm so happy he is a member of the LGBTQ plus community, but I don't think I care I
1: was like, "Come on, Nico, just spit it out." No, I ice cube into your whiskey.
2: (laughs) Like, I hated the way he came out. That was obviously terrible. And I think Mm -hmm. the way it happened was part of what spurred so many of these thoughts of like, "Oh, what?" Now all of a sudden he's gay. But when you look back at his publication history, when you see like old stories and stuff, I I think the subtext is is all very there. Like, there are times where there's there's a an issue. I can't even think of the number or whatever. But like where I. Swear to God, it felt like he was about to come out to Jean Grey back in the 90s. And when you know that he has come out now, and you go back, it's it's kind of like you can even see it more. It's almost like you, you've got a yeah. black light to it now. I love it. I'm glad that he is part of the community, and I'm I'm glad that he's also part of the Omega mutant community. Like he is not a chump. Just imagine Bobby having like a little ice palace on Krakoa, and when you show up <laughs> now, he's got Iceman, you know, automatons walking around as like servants. Like I feel like we could like get icicles. yeah.
0: I, I that is maybe what I concern about. Uh, I love that it would be um because so many queer characters are already coded that way, and there mm. is so much queer closed off, uh, God complex storyline. That's like sort of the last thing I think we need more of. But mm. it doesn't seem like it's being done poorly it doesn't seem like it's being done with malice it seems like a story I don't love being done That's still good being done with a character I don't care for and that makes the connection real hard But, Mm -hmm. you know, I still recognize that it's being done really well, and it's still being handled. And, like, I love hearing that the people it's for are loving it, because I, you know, all comics can't be for everybody, even every book you read. And, like, so it's really great to hear that stuff that's not resonating with me is really hitting it for other people.
2: Let me ask you guys a question. Do you know if Iceman is on the roster in this, in the new Marauders lineup by Steve Orlando?
0: I don't know, but I kind of hope the queer writer is writing the queer character. That would be like right. you know I hate to say attractively on the nose well we're
2: getting we're getting docken and Aurora which I think is great because Steve Orlando was is by and I think like if anybody could write to that experience of a hero being by but also being in a street seeming relationship like and how that doesn't erase any of his queerness like that, that I think that could be an interesting story so like I, ju- I just don't know if Bobby's in the in the mix or not I know that we're getting a few new cast members
1: hmm. I'm I'm I'm, Hoping that he's in the new roster because, like, not that he's my favorite character, but like, we literally saw a lot of. Oh God, I almost made that pun. I was gonna say we literally saw a lot of growth, and I don't mean in that we've seen a lot of growth with his character from being the kid brother basically to a a more realized adult, and and Emma really helping him push himself to be something more. And honestly, I think it's not that he's getting a god complex. I think he's stripping away all the masking. That he used to do, because you know he wanted everybody to like him, and you know he's the fun kid brother with the with a fun little you know wit and whatnot. Like I think he was desperately covering for who he was as a person, so he never really got to to develop his his own personality because it was always a mask in order to cover up other things that were going on with with his situation. Because when when you're in the closet, uh, or or in a position where you don't feel like you can really have your own agency, a lot of times you put on whatever mask is needed to keep you surviving until you know the next thing comes along so I think a lot of this is maybe him developing into more of an adult I don't think he's going to lose his quick wit and and fun nature overall but I think he's really becoming an adult versus just being kind of the, the kid brother bringing up the rear kind of thing so yeah, it, ho- hopefully this will point towards some good things and, and we'll see more development out of him
2: well that's what it feels like it feels like almost like how storm graduated from marauders although Mm -hmm. while she was on the team she got you know criminally less panel time than she deserved but she Mm -hmm. she moved beyond it and now she's reaching soul and we saw the writing on the wall like we saw her looking wistfully into the sunset and considering her future and dot 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 now she's running the solar system from mars uh which is great Mm -hmm. it feels like that's kind of what's being teed up here
0: you know they've got a big war with Namor coming up I can't think of anybody better to go after the ocean than Iceman uh, you know just he, <laughs> he would have unlimited access to everything he needs that would give him another vaguely homoerotic uh, you know super being to contend with it would be a really great way to sort of keep him tied up I actually decided I want him to get the hell away from Marauders because they just announced that one the only the best ever uh, Casinova is joining the cast of Marauders so So I think the last thing Iceman needs is Cassie Nova as his new mentor.
2: Oh my God. Can you imagine Cassie Nova? Like, hey guys, today we're doing team building. We're going into the the black bug room of (laughs) of Bobby's closet. Let's go. Like, yeah, I I think
0: all the 60s comics as they are. It's an interesting time to be an X fan. I'm kind of, and I don't mean this, you know, Jerry Dugan is doing a great job over on X Men, and he, you know, did a masterful job on a good portion of cable and a good portion of this series. But I do think I am ready to see someone new take over the pen. I am very nervous, like we have said, about this cast change, but I think Dawkins is a really good choice. I think Kate is a really good choice. I think mm-hmm. uh, Conan is a really good choice. Mm-hmm. It's just the, and I'll be honest, I really enjoy Steve Orlando. I'm kind of nervous that it's Steve Orlando. Steve Orlando is a big Takes a Swing guy. He is a big Mm -hmm. Takes a Swing guy. And I love a Takes a Swing guy. But Cassie Nova is the swing. Mm -hmm. So I need the rest of the book to play to what I want from an X book. You know what I mean? And my one opinion Mm -hmm. doesn't matter a whole lot. But like, it is a a certain nervousness because the guy does have a, a track record for blazing new trails on titles. Outside of the concerns of Cassie, what do you guys think about the trade off from Dugan to Orlando?
1: I mean, I I'm here to see where it goes cuz maybe what we need is a big swing. It feels like we've been kind of taking whiffs at 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 grounders as it were. So it's just like, mm, can we can we please get something that like really knocks it out of the park? And that might require a little bit of a taking a big chance. On some stuff, but I'm here for it. I'm
2: I'm ready for it. I mean, I think I think uh, Jerry's doing such a good job over on X Men, and I'm looking forward to seeing you know more of what he's what he's working on over there. I think we've already seen kind of in the Krakoan era when one creator is on multiple titles, there can be a little kind of dilute the work a little bit. It almost feels like the writer themselves is blurring the lines between who's in this book and who's in that book, and and why are we writing this book? And I feel like we've already kind of seen that impact, that negative impact, reflect in some of the recent Marauders issues. So, mm-hmm. I, I'm glad that it feels like this was he's ending it strong. I'm not sure when, what our last issue is going to be, or if there's a last issue, or or if it's just going to keep going with, with, like, numbering. I'm hoping it keeps going, because I love legacy numbers, like you were saying, Nico. Like, I would love, like, back in, you know, the early X-Factor days, like, when Peter David and Strowman took over, it wasn't X-Factor number one, it was, like, I think 70 one, and it was just yeah. the all new, all different, and we kept with the same numbers, but it like was very clearly a whole book. I would the love Batman to see number that. number
0: 114.
2: Yeah, I, w- I would love to see that. Yeah, when Morrison came on board, it was clearly a whole new book. And if you go on Marvel Unlimited, you, you search for new X-Men to find it on Marvel Unlimited. I just learned that recently. But it was, you know, legacy numbering and it was just a whole new team, a whole new direction, a whole new vibe. I would love to see that happen again, but I, I'm not holding my breath.
0: I just don't, I don't want to be like a bummer, but like, I don't think the numbers matter anymore. So just go with the fucking legacy numbers. What's the big deal? Like, one of the best things Marvel has done is sort of leaned into that, where they kind of make sure every omnibus has legacy numbering at some point. Because I take a look at perhaps the, you know what, I'm going to use your exact example. Marvel really supports your thinking, Arturo, because all of Peter David's X Factor is being collected in the same line of omnis. So his all new, all different X Factor. From back in the day is Volume 1. The one that starts with Madrox and then leads into X-Factor Investigations is Volume 2. And then the next portion of it is going to be Volume 3. They really do think it should be looked at through those connective eyes, that this is the identity of this book across these years. And when I look at Daredevil, they go out of their way to throw it back to numbering at some point every run. At the end of Baker, the damn book went 119, 500. What the fuck? And then it ran till 512, and it started over with number one, and then it started over with a number one, and then it started over with a number one, and then it went 28, 600. What the fuck? Fuck! and so it it's just it's just stick with the fucking legacy numberings you're going to go back to them anyway the date is more important dates are sequential guys so just stick with the fucking legacy numbers already tell us how you really
2: feel yeah and don't hold your breath because that, that's what i've learned is like the they the simple point of number one sell better is that's mm-hmm. it that, that that's period point blank like yeah and then the other argument being like oh well because if you look at you know oh well this is you know x-men 192 that means i have 191 issues that i would have to like catch up on and it's more daunting than this is x-men number nine but for me it's like it's just more confusing because then everything is just you know these low numbers whereas you know with the uncanny run you can it's interesting to see like oh what happened between issues 200 and 300 wow that was a whole era that was 100 you know it just it's easier because you're saying like dates are more important i disagree for me it's kind of where on that continuum do i land and that kind of gives me you know perspective of like oh how far are we from the outback era to how close are we to the upstarts or whatever it may be
0: raven break the tie (laughs) you gotta we're both east coast boys we don't know nothing (laughs) gotta bring that west coast flavor tell us raven do dates matter do numbers matter does any of it really matter
1: to me dates matter so much more like if you're gonna give me oh yeah you know we need to you should go back and read you know this particular era i'm okay with the numbers being high just tell me like read like number 114 to like number 140 and you've got an entire era right there and that's like important to me the date that it came out the the overall arc the name of the overall arc means way more than the number itself don't just go oh we're gonna make this a number one because that sells better (sighs) No, bitch, because then I really have to do my research when somebody goes, Oh, yeah, just read number one through 10 of this. Just read Shang-Chi number
0: five. Oh, my
1: God. I'm so sorry,
0: Raven. I'm still so sorry.
1: Freaking Moon Knight. Like, hey, go ahead, read Moon Knight. Okay, well, which one? What do you mean, which one? I'm like, which one? There's literally like six or seven volumes. Dates or legacy numbering,
0: this wouldn't have happened to you. Yeah. Either way. Exactly. (laughs)
1: Exactly. Like, give me the freaking dates or give me the freaking legacy numbers and and let me go through there but yeah oh my god yeah shang chi you said yeah read number six and i've i read number six i read the wrong number six but then again just you know to cover my own ass that number six literally like both of the number sixes came out in the same yeah.
0: year january and october yeah
1: like h- how how are you going to restart a fucking thing it, it, in the same year like what the shit
0: i really would like it if marauders just keeps going with the same number i think we can all kind of- agree at this point no matter what no number ones Number
2: ones are just so stupid. I, I, yeah. I mean, that's we just, we literally just went through this with X Men, you know? And yeah. like, and I couldn't be happier with the new X Men book and the team and all of that. It's, it's awesome, but I would have totally been fine with it being, you know, issue 22, all new, all different X Men. Like, that would have been mm-hmm. fine, anyways. And
0: I just want to remind everybody that we have one other thing to consider my precious, precious Daredevil and the unfucking believable. We're going to cover it, so everybody should go out and read it immediately devil's reign number one is getting like five star reviews and 10 out of 10 across the board and like reviews are like this is what events should be and shit and i hate most daredevil centered events because i feel like they don't get that the character should be small and and focused by making it about kingpin this is like one mm-hmm. of the best events marvel has done in a while go out and pick up that first issue it is so fucking good um but marauders is going to tie into devil's reign it's going to be marauders devil's reign mm. as a multi-part tie-in by jerry Dugan and Phil Noto, and that's definitely gonna happen. So, perhaps that's what's going to fill in for a little bit. This is not the first time that uh, Marauders has done that, as there was that Marauders King in Black one-shot as well.
2: Mm-hmm. <laughs> the My Two Dads plotline with Shinobi Shaw and, and Harry Leland <laughs> and, oh, your mother was a friend of ours, and we received a letter, and we weren't sure who was the dad, basically. And look, I don't want to get graphic, but at some point, Sebastian Shaw and Harry Leland performed an Eiffel Tower on Shinobi's mom, and that happened, and it's wonderful, and they didn't know who was the baby daddy, and I would like to see it be a My Two dad situation now. I know that Harry's probably the biological, but like, you know.
1: Oh no, Sebastian Shaw is the biological, just temperament-wise and everything. Oh Sebastian no, I, mm, so I think
0: Sebastian Shaw is a result of upbringing. I think- I'm with Arturo on this one, actually. I've, okay, okay. I need you to, uh, like, we're talking like Christina Aguilera back in the day. We were doing some Mariah Dedicated. Like, this is throwback shit. And there was a trading card that even implied this back in the 90s. That was like, Shinobi Shaw has since claimed that his father is Sebastian Shaw. However, it is unmissable that Harry Leland shared an ability set with Shinobi and was close with Shinobi's mother as well. And oh, like, you're blowing
2: my mind. I had no idea.
0: This was like a huge thing 20 years ago and 30 years ago. So like, this is like a one of those dangler's that finally got fil- like followed up on that people nice. have wanted covered forever i have always held this as head canon I, I okay have- that's
2: amazing that that's incredible i i i was a mark for it when when emma kind of like offhandedly just mentioned like interesting i always thought shinobi's powers you know resembled uh harry's more so than your own or whatever like she said something like that earlier on in rodder so ever since that like little hint dropped i've been you know harry leland pilled and uh but I didn't know it was it was such an old threat. And hell, give give Jerry a an Eisner just for that. I love when writers pick up and clean up old messes and do it in a nice way.
0: And do it nicely, exactly like a loving hey. I saw you guys ran the ball as far as you could. It's not your fault that contracts end. Balls stay floating until somebody else comes and picks them up, right? And it's it's like a really. I don't know It's it's actually like romantic to me Like in the in Like you know Like a, the classic sense of romance Like it's this idea That you can do this thing For your hero That your hero never got to do It's uh, You know I'm on the record As being very critical Of Brian Michael Bendis It's hard not to be critical Of a voice that literally Shaped an industry you love For over a decade But that he and Bagley Purposely cut their run On Spider-Man So that it did not break The Stanley and Jack Kirby's record On Fantastic Four Is one of those Wow Kind of moments there is something to be said for Dugan getting to finish the play for the people who inspired him in a way that lights up my heart
2: yeah same here I love it now we just need somebody to revisit the plot thread where Shinobi Shaw throws sexy hot tub parties with Trevor Fitzroy Trevor Fitzroy Um, that would have been a shocking unexpected addition to to the Baragas slow down Trevor Fitzroy (laughs) would have been a great addition I'm not I'm saying, that.
0: I mean, like, on that shock <laughs> level, like, uh, for, like, the, the Cassandra Nova shock level of ad, like, Fitzroy, uh, M-Plate, like, I guess I just want to start naming, Celine. I just want to start naming uh, mutant serial killers that also kill mutes
1: <laughs>
0: Hyperstorm, the alternate universe, Rachel Gray, and Franklin Richards Child from the future. He's Ooh. another one, because he's, like, an evil overlord in his timeline. Oh, well, we
2: could bring back Apocalypse's unfortunately named son uh, Holocaust. Mm-hmm.
1: Ooh. Oh, God.
0: Wait, you know, there is this uh, little-known character. I think he was some kind of Chloe of Magneto. I think his name was um, mm-hmm. Joseph, was it? Okay, we but if, Joseph, if we're up.
2: bringing Joseph back, and and you know this is near and dear to me, uh, he's definitely a good guy. Yeah, a thousand percent. He, he, he would not be hanging out with the likes of... Although, I know he was, you know, the last time we saw him, he was he came back bent on revenge, and he was, you know, cast as a pretty clear villain. But, like... No... <sighs> Yeah. I would, I, him,
0: I would have him go to space and leave Magneto on Earth and let him get to discover what it means to be the Magneto of space so Magneto can take care of his messes on Earth.
2: I would have Joseph uh come back and take on the mantle of North that we see later or that we see saw back in Hawksbox. I don't know if the timing really works out on that or whatever, but we're in a different, you know, Moira life now, so it'd be a nice like echo from that lifetime and wear green and just be wonderful. And I, I, I don't know if I want him away from Magneto. You know, I would. I kind of would love to see Magneto kind of brighter, and you know, I'll be a father figure to him. I don't know if that's weird, but like, I would just do it solely to see Pietro's face when he shows up on Krakoa, and Magneto's like, "Oh look, you were always my least favorite, but now there's a, a whole new favorite."
1: Yeah, <laughs> I would laugh so hard. great Justice oh, for Joseph. Oh my god! I mean, like, oh. a Magneto has fathered so many children. You could have any random mutant show up and go, "Yeah, Dad." no that's (laughs) wolverine
2: that's wolverine wolverine has a litter of children that we don't even speak of
1: yes but see wolverine getting around doesn't surprise me because he's been around for so long like he's literally been alive for so freaking long that does not surprise me one bit that he'd have a bunch of kids out there but like magnus is just like he there are times he he reminds me of zeus it's like oh it's got a heartbeat and i've got five minutes let's go like (laughs) what the shit dude what the shit
0: Hey everybody, Nico here again. Now, this last segment, Sword Number Eleven. I've loved Sword this whole time. It's been such an exciting experience to get to see the X Men take to space in a way they've never taken to space before. As we point out throughout the segment, the X Men's relationship with interstellar travel has always been a matter of interstellar necessity or involvement directly with the Shi'ar. But here we got to see the X Men spread their wings, and putting Storm in that jump seat was so important to us, and we could not have loved. This journey of sword more than we did now x-men red is going to be such an exciting prospect and hopefully it gets to deliver on some of the threads that we felt were left hanging in sword the way that we felt that there had been threads left hanging in marauders earlier guys we love making this show for you three times a week with our brand new format focusing on magic mutants and marvels mondays wednesdays and fridays don't forget to check us out over on twitter and youtube at x's for podcast i've been nico at nico action N I C O A C T I O N. enjoy this last segment and tune in friday for more marvel magic here on x's for podcast hey everybody welcome back to x's for podcast the show where we take a look at comics mutants magic marvels and space station traders week after week through their many monthly betrayals i'm nico and you can find me sending Gyric out the fucking airlock like i have wanted to do since i am seven motherfucking years old all the time at nico action that's n-i-c-o-a-c-t-i-o-n on twitter and instagram
3: and I'm TK. You can find me crying about the betrayal of Abigail Brand on Twitter and Instagram at xnatexgrayx.
4: And I'm Stephen. And you can find me at Twitter at Stephen of wonder. Uh, that's Stephen with a V. And at the House of North Star, and I am continually amazed by how much I love Eden in every issue.
5: And I'm Jonah, and you can follow me over on Twitter and Instagram, at Jonah. And we hope you survive this experience, unlike a certain Orcus guy named Henry Gyrek, who, uh, spoilers, is not in any kind of resurrection queue.
0: Yeah, like, I definitely went over this a couple of weeks ago when we talked about Sword last time. If you asked me to, like, paint villains from my childhood childhood it would be like trent lot it would be like you know uh, the proud boys uh, or whatever version of the kkk you know i faced uh, you know as a, a conceptual identity as a kid and like peter henry gyrick like i was taught as a child by the x-men this was the bad guy and then when I got super duper into Stargate and they had their own Gyrick, I could immediately go, that's the Gyrick. And I hate him. And like, it's, he represents something so heinous in everything. Uh... I have a lot of feelings about what this book was and wasn't. Ultimately, okay, I'm getting ahead of myself, but everybody did find Henry Gyrick dying the most satisfying thing in the entire world, right?
3: So Correct.
4: satisfying.
3: Yes, although I will say, and I'm sorry to do this, but I immediately thought of um, the memory mgrams and stuff that Nimrod has uploaded into him and what possibilities that has throughout Orcus. Oh, I'm so happy to see him in the vacuum of space suffering yeah. as his blood boils out of his eyeballs, but yeah. I, yeah. I feel as though, you know, while he is not on the Krakoa Resurrection queue. Orcus can't be far behind with such technologies.
0: And, you know, stories cycle, and so it's only a matter of time before we see some sort of parallel of the kind of Necrotia, Bastion, Master Mold sort of era that kind of came together where, you know, all the bad guys are going to come back together and they're all going to have robot parts and it's just going to yep. be fine. So, sword number 11 is the end of sword. Swords down. For a book that was touted at the end of King and Black, and then a book that was hyped and then touted at the end of 10 of swords it sort of feels like sword was an 11 supplemental issue run and i enjoyed it but if you asked me to tell you what it was about i could not
4: same i still love it i I really loved it
0: i just i have no (laughs) idea what it was about
3: I think it was in large part about the day-to-day of the mutants making that attempt to play a larger role on the galactic stage.
0: Okay.
5: Yes, I agree that this was, I think, initially concepted and pitched as well as the first couple of issues try to lead us to believe this is mute, the mutant kind's attempt at a galactic presence that kind of overshadows the Earth, saying sure, you can go to Earth, but you really kind of want to deal with us and what we're, we're what we're working with. But I think a couple of... I think that it got a little bit sidetracked once planet-sized X-Men happened, and the terraforming of Mars happened, where it became life on Mars.
3: Yeah. I agree with that. And then these last few issues have sort of tried to tie together how galactic life coming to the soul system would sort of work for the X-Men and how they might deal with certain issues and how Storm is a
0: queen on every level. Now, if you guys take a look back into the now legacy numbered archives of X's for Podcast, so can find all 275 previous episodes of the series cataloged for you right there on cageclub.me slash X or wherever you get your podcasts. You can catch our third interview with Ariana Mar. And I think in each one, we've all pronounced her name differently in different ways. It's spectacular. And she's always the most incredible voice and this perspective that I just can't even imagine between her knowledge of comics, manga, uh, lettering, and just Her general interests. She's such an incredible guest to have on. And in her most recent interview with us, she actually explained that if it seemed like Sword was in nothing but crossovers, it was by design. Sword was meant to help facilitate the X Men's place in larger crossovers. So that was their way of integrating space into these narratives. So, you know, TK and Jonah, I do feel like you guys have the right idea, but at the same time, I don't know that Steven and I feeling that it was a little meandery are necessarily too far off from what they were looking for. Now, before we can get back into the series as a whole, I would love to know what you guys thought of this final issue in general. Myself, I felt like it was a little by the numbers, but it was by the numbers in a way that I appreciated. It was very Ewing. It's just, I hate seeing Ewing in books because I think Ewing should be on everything. So between losing Guardians, losing this, it just feels like they're taking Ewing out of space. And uh, so how did you guys feel about this last issue?
3: Oh, and Cable looked hot. (laughs) I was going to get to that. Cable did look like a full-on snack. It gave us everything we needed to tie together the 11 issues. It gave us great moments with each of the characters. Again, I mean, just any book that is going to take a lot of pages to focus on what a fucking Icon Storm is, I'm here for. And I'm going to enjoy it no matter what. It is just pure fan service and pleasure for me to watch. But we wrapped everything up. We got to kill a real asshole villain, and we got to establish another real asshole villain who is going to be a major player going forward next.
5: I think this kind of ended pretty well and but also gave enough tools and enough ideas of what we can kind of maybe expect to see in X-Men Red, which will be the following series to this. I really like the idea of Cable having his techno-organic virus spreading a little bit further, and what that means for his character, because we kind of got to see him kind of talk like Warlock a little bit, which is really cool. Meep-moop war-torn assassin messiah. Self is war-torn assassin messiah, yes. I really like the satisfying death of Gyrek, whether or not that he will be appearing again, whether his conscious will appear again. Who knows? The physical body is dead, and I'm okay with that. <laughs> I imagine a a lot of people are as well. I like that we kinda got to see Mac go through a roller coaster of emotions with understanding the idea of what Orcas is meant to do, but not being able to justify everything that goes on and would rather and kind of realized maybe I'm not aligning myself with who I should be. And I also I very much appreciated that because after kinda unceremoniously deciding that he's just now divorced, I appreciate that he kinda has better divorce energy <laughs> about him because <laughs> it kinda felt like he was a divorced man. Kind of trying to find his purpose in life again, and he really just latched on to something really bad, and kind of had that wake-up call of like, oh, maybe this is just dumb. maybe I should just go back home to Canada. <laughs>
4: uh, I'm going to echo onto everyone else and say that I thoroughly loved Gyrick's evacuation into <laughs> the vastness of space and watching his corpse float i was actually really unsure how i felt about (laughs) the book when i finished it because i closed it and was like what just happened because of how obsessed with brand i generally am and now I'm going to be very leery about anybody with green hair because they always seem to turn on the X-Men for some reason. But I actually, after thinking about it a lot, I actually really kind of love it because it, it was seemingly so close to home. She is one of them. I for some reason think that some of the X-Men's villains do work better when they are actually mutants as well. TK actually brought up a really good point that I didn't think of earlier when we were talking, because at first I was really confused by her like power grab but then he he kind of framed it as she has always been doing the grunt work and working her way up in these roles in in the greater marvel cosmos and it does actually make a lot of sense to me now so i was i was actually really pleased by that as well. So that's how I feel about the issue.
0: The other thing that I think is really important is we stand a superhero who represents an underrepresented class or minority. And Wizkid is just representation upon representation. And we are incredibly positive on this character. And I was really happy that all of our well, there's no way that he's not a triple agent, if he's a double agent, you know, like we were all immediately on his side we gave him the benefit of the doubt on the show nobody was concerned and then turns out he is the coolest and we were all right to think that i do feel as though whiz is unfortunately perhaps set up to fade back into the background at this point and that is perhaps a concern that this issue just kind of left WizKid kid in a great place to be put back in the box I think we're in a position, I mean, I I did the numbers on it last episode. WizKid has had less than 25 appearances historically. Altogether, WizKid had something like eight appearances before 2010. So we're not talking about a character with a lot of opportunities that have come. So hopefully this defining work does change the trajectory of the character going forward. That's perhaps my only real note about this finale issue. I, as always, love to see two women of color supporting each other. So any moment between Joanna and Aurora is number one, a whole lot of vowels and very few consonants. But number two, a really exquisite opportunity to see two underrepresented classes paired together. Now, that's both women working together and superheroes of color working together. So it's a really cool thing to get to see this sort of beautiful overlap where there is room for two women of color on the same page. And that is something that I really appreciate about every issue of sword but specifically issue 11 as well
3: i think it's really possible that a uh kid could have always uh moved over to x like he might move over to x-men red and that could have always been the plan but b that the response to him was so enthusiastic and so positive not just from a representational standpoint but from a nostalgia standpoint from him just being a really great funny character with a great power set that even if he has been put in the box by design of this series and somebody else coming in could be really, really excited about playing with this character that people have responded with on such a level.
0: Now, talking about shield as shield. Have a good day, guys. I gotta go. Bye. Bye. We believe in you. You got this. I don't. I don't. Uh, So shield, sword, diamond, pearl, red, blue, yellow, it's all Pokemon. Okay. So (laughs) speaking of sword as a whole, looking back at this run, I think the thing... I loved the most was getting to see so many characters who have frequently been big dickified getting the swang a little bit i think you know we're constantly being reminded that storm is bay right we're also usually being reminded that bay is bay which is very convenient for bay's naming right good nomenclature there but i think cable storm brand it, to some extent eden And even some of the extended cast, like Frenzy and yeah, I guess, Cortez. you know, we're always told that these characters are like top tier. And if they lay it down, they lay it down and then they never have an opportunity to lay it down. You know, like, don't tell me you can swing the hammer if you never pick it up. Right. So one of the things that I thought was really amazing about this series as a whole was that we saw a lot of people who said, yeah, I can do that, actually do that. It took a lot of cosmic level threats. In one case, it was actually Cable. Now, I'll be honest with you. If you're asking me, did they defeat Cable plus Symbiote? No. They deleted. They deleted. Have a good day. They defeated Kid Cable plus Symbiote. So. A little different because if it had been real Cable, they'd have been fucks. Yeah, and not saying that Null would have won because, you know, the Captain Universe was always secretly a symbiote. I don't know, mm. but sure, good job, Donny Cates. You did it and now it makes sense and it's good. That's why Captain Universe was always obsessed with Spider-Man. Got it. Got it. You did great. I'm into it. But I think looking back so much of S.W.O.R.D was about taking characters who constantly said, yeah, I can do that, and either making them do it, or kicking them out of the book. And I loved that. How did you guys feel about S.W.O.R.D. as a method of testing the metal? of so many of these characters by forging them in fire. I almost got that whole metaphor out, guys. You just have to go with it. You did great.
3: I mean, I think, you know, an example like Cortez, perfect example, could not hack it, went over to Way of X, got his ass handed to him a bunch and is now kind of a cool character. We ended on a cool note with him anyway. Like that's a great way to be like, okay, that's a great way to work with characters through books. So I was stoked about that. I also want to say Wizkid is not a character like that. Wizkid is not a character that anybody would say like has BDE and always thinks he's the best but they made him that in this book and he came to it thinking that he was the best and then this book let him be that such a dynamic character shift and again one of those reasons that I think people are going to look at him going forward and be like we got to have Wizkid in this.
4: Yeah, I... Oh man, I really, really loved Wizkid. Uh, Eden was amazing. I was so stoked that Frenzy was at the forefront in this book. But Wizkid, I, I really hope that he is going to be seen more. I really hope that he's going to be used. I think that this really did put him on a great trajectory. I actually want to revisit something that you asked before about... Or what you said before about him. No, it's too Uh, late. You can't uh, ever. It's too late. It's in the past. Possibly being put back in a box. I was just trying to like kind of. For my opinion on that but I, I was actually thinking that they put him in a position to be the one to stop her in a weird way yeah he could sense. be
3: they could be nemesis. like he could have the plan the insight planning and also
4: access to stuff that she can't ever produce right to completely kick the shit out of her yeah like he's the one who could figure it like I feel like he is the one that could figure out what she's up to absolutely so I feel well, like
3: I would love that i would oh, killed man, yeah. for that the two them playing cat and mouse all over a space station are you fucking kidding me oh my god i'm like so
4: about that i was yeah. devastated that this was the last issue 100
5: for me i'm kind of glad you brought up frenzy because i think she has very subtle bde in the sense that i think going into this and going into this krakowin era i think frenzy was a character that deserved to be redeemed from previous status uh from my understanding she was an antagonist and villain in her first iterations and now seeing her get to be be a badass space woman alongside Storm and kind of really not only hold her own in terms of strength and her powers but also politically and strategically kind of like the most subtle BDE like should you you get like this really cool aloof air about her and she's like really awesome and like you kind of want to be her friend and it does she's not like in your face with how how much BDE she has so I'm really appreciative of that and I think taking a character like Takeshi Wizkid I was really appreciative of him getting even if he was as a little bit of a pawn for Abigail Brand was a smart move in order to allow this kind of character to shine because I think for a while I think this character would kind of be relegated to the background and I don't know if anybody would be feel comfortable using him in stories and using him as a character but he's utilized so well here in all the roles that he presents that I really do hope that he doesn't fade into obscurity again but more so at least whether it's a passive or more prominent role I think he has a lot of use. potential and there's a lot of storytelling you can do with his character that I would really appreciate seeing writers take on that challenge.
3: Another thing I'm really excited about with Frenzy is in the last 10 years I loved the character work that happened with her in Age of X and after Age of X but after that it got to a point of like oh she's just a sad simp for Cyclops and that's never going anywhere and she deserves so much better than that and so to move the character way away from anything about that to completely not reference it just to have her be doing totally different things made me really happy because when I think about her in the last 10 years, I think about that incident too much, and I think I'll stop at
0: this point. As long as we've talked about X-Men, I've been a frenzy stan, so it's been pretty great to see her transform over the years, and she's just a delight. And one of the things that Sword delighted me with on the regular was development of character, despite the fact that we were constantly running a muck in in crossovers. It was just, it was crossover city. It was just crossover city. And despite that, the character moments were incredible. Now, when I think about how much the characters changed throughout the book, I don't think anybody changed quite so much as perhaps Cable,
4: who aged a whole extra 50 years. I, am I the only person who actually um liked Kid Cable? No, I, I like love Kid, Kid Cable, Cable so much.
2: No, he, yeah, oh.
0: he was great.
4: <laughs> I I'm I'm actually kind of mourning him still <laughs> 100%. I love him. You, you know what? I I want to say it might have been Eden manifold. I feel like we got to actually see a lot more of him and he He was able to develop his abilities a little bit more. It's either him or Wizkid, in my personal opinion. But I I am actually really happy that Joanne uh, Frenzy was actually able to overcome her Cyclops era because I really love her coming into her own.
5: Well, maybe now she's good for Storm, but like uh, I like we all
4: do, I'm weirdly okay with that.
5: <laughs> exactly, because we all do.
4: Uh,
3: for me, I do think it's Wizkid. Yeah, I mean, and you, I mean, it, what's so great about the way they did it is, to him, it's not character development. This is how he is. We all just got to see it for the first time. We got to see somebody who is so confident in his excellence that it makes him feel better about himself, and it makes him not really think about his disability in terms of the way that it's holding him down but in the ways of like I just I hear all the things that I do and here's how I work around what I can't do
5: so I agree I think I think there's a couple of characters that grew a lot and my answer is technically cheating but he was technically in sword and we did mention him before I think Fabian Cortez probably went through the most (laughs) character development even though a lot more of the character development happened over in way of X but I'm cheating here and I'm allowed to cheat because this is sword and we already have people being sneaky (laughs) sneaky so I'm gonna be sneaky sneaky with my answer this was a character that they did well where he was an asshole still is an asshole but had to face the repercussions of the things he was doing and i think that led to an interesting character arc of somebody who's a real jerk and didn't really have a lot of care in the world because he thought he was entitled to certain aspects he thought he was entitled to being a hero and the biggest joke on him is that his power only allows him to let people shine better and he felt weird. Like he was, like he got, he, as I said, he felt entitled, and seeing someone not only have to confront that entitlement, but the consequences of that entitlement and how he acted was really great in a way that it didn't feel like you're still rooting for Cortez, but you can understand why he acted the way he did. And maybe with more character development and more people wanting to try to take an interest, can redeem him into a better character. But seeing him have to go through a forcible growth of looking at his mistakes, I thought was a really great way way to handle that character
3: i completely agree with that and i love that it took the took place over two different books like that in the krakoa era we can have a character show up and people be like you are not right for our team go away and then you pick them up somewhere else and that's where a bunch of the work gets to happen
0: and not to pull focus to something else but like you know we're talking about a finale my book of the year was definitely way of x that was by far my X book of the year so i did really love the interplay there as well because it felt in Some ways like way of x way of x x core trial of magneto they all kind of served the same vague purpose which was to be the total opposite of giant size x-men where each one told a complete story and they were only vaguely connected these were a lot more slowed down a lot more uh, to the trade which is fine but you know in that way that that I don't know. I think sword ending means I can kind of point at sword and go, yeah, good time. Good time, party book. And they did a good thing and they did it well here. I just don't know how it would collect and trade. And I don't think I'd ever want an omnibus of it. I don't even know how you'd make an omnibus of this. A bunch of crossovers? I don't know. How do you guys feel about the idea of like looking back on sword as a moment for Krakoa? Actually the idea of a bunch of cro- like adding the crossovers in is to me
4: kind of interesting. I could get very into that. I think two trades would be just fine including the uh the crossovers I think would probably be the smartest decision. But otherwise, I have I have no idea. I don't even know like how I would look look back on this, with the exception of the individual issues. I really think
0: this book existed to facilitate other stories, and that it had stories of its own is kind of special and significant. But it, it's why I feel like this read so well. Looking back, it reads clean. It reads easy. There's a lightness to it, even when it's dark and hard. I really appreciated this book, and I know I'm gonna miss it a bunch right? And, you know, when I think about where this book is going to go, I guess I do just hope a lot of the characters appear in X-Men Red. So, you know, looking back on S.W.O.R.D., I can say solid book. What am I hoping for from X-Men Red?
5: That a lot of these characters play a part. How about you guys? To briefly just mention the question you talked about earlier, Nico, S.W.O.R.D. is a very interesting title because it started as a consequence and not in the bad way, just a consequence of the Ten of Swords event. And then I feel like with kind of made and set up specifically so we can get a good enough reason and really interesting position to put these characters in for planet-sized X-Men and the events that happen there. I think it's actually a very fascinating look at this book that I think was meant to be the linchpin for these crossovers, but it has managed to stand uh, by itself and have interesting stories and takes and that you can have an X-Men book in space that's not what the X-Men have already done in space, because this is nothing like like at least from what I have read the X-Men's adventures in space where they've been fighting a bunch of aliens but as opposed to the intergalactic intrigue and political aspects of what that looks like hats off to this the creative team for creating such an interesting book that I think was meant to just kind of be like well this is how we bridge these gaps. For what I expect in X-Men Red obviously I think it goes without saying some badass storm moments where I really want her to do well I would love the what this means for the Shi'ar Empire, considering the Super Guardians were very easily taken out, which is wild. I will say this, none of this would have happened if Oracle was there. That's
4: how I felt. She's too busy trying
5: to kill Sandra yeah. and rocking a sweet mohawk to really be much of help as of right now. The one thing I think I really want, as Nico said, is seeing a lot of these characters come back, but I think I really want a lot more of the Iraqi politics and what's going on in Iraq I don't really think we have a great idea of how the Iraqi citizens feel about Mars and what their role and everything about, you know, their mutantum and their mutant nation being on this planet. I would love a lot more perspectives from them, whether it's from their version of the Quiet Council. But if I only had to choose one specifically, Iska, I absolutely ISCA, agree. Amazing.
3: Uh sorry. I absolutely agree. I absolutely love Iska. Um I'm from Red, I am hoping for more about Planet Irako from the perspective of uh, the regent Storm you know seeing her having her be the perspective character that introduces us to all the stuff that we don't know about Iraqo Iraqi politics their council all that all that type of stuff I feel like there's a good chance within that that we would see Joanna a lot which is fantastic I do worry about some of the people that have been on the space station coming with Storm on that journey I would love to see them do it but narratively when I I think about it in my head i can't justify it as much which just makes me want another book and you know another volume of sword or another book that has to do with space station intrigue and politics i would absolutely take a mini series of uh, the cat and mouse game between WizKid kid and abigail brand but yeah i i agree with a lot of what jonah said about what i'm looking for in x-men red
0: now the other thing though that i think this book managed to skirt for so long that kind of makes me so concerned with the title change is how does the sword station interact with the greater sense of Iraqi Mars we got those moments back and forth and I'm hoping that the red is like red planet you know what I mean I'm hoping that that's what the red of x-men red stands for because one of the things that I don't think I have as much of an understanding on right now in the x-books and it's not even like the biggest thing in the world I'm not like because I don't have this the books Make no sense. I feel like I don't necessarily understand travel. Like it kind of feels like everybody's a gate, gate. Gate! Gate! And like, okay, lots of gates. But it seems like they just gate places and everybody sticks in their own bio. I don't feel like I see people visiting Arako and then visiting Sword and then visiting the Boneyard and then visiting other biome that I can't think of the name of right now. Like, I just feel like it's been a lot of very segmented stories. And I would get that if one of the things we were dealing with were perhaps a set design concern. But this is comics, you draw it. So how do you guys feel about the sort of geographic location value of now we have two planets that we are X-Men go between and a space station in between. And yet in many ways, it does still feel like Ileana is the team bus.
3: I think it's a valid concern and a valid critique. Every time I read or reread an issue in the Krakoan era, I have like 10 ideas of other books. I want to see other aspects of Krakoan culture, customs, concerns that I want to see written and played out characters that I want involved. This is such a rich world system of worlds, ecosystems, space stations. There's so much room to expand and show us how things work and show us people doing the sort of day-to-day actions that you would expect, like going from one planet to the other, getting on the space station. My hope is that there is a way to produce some of that stuff without oversaturating the line. But I do think that you know they are taking a kind of conservative stance and the loss in doing that is that you do miss out on seeing things that you think to yourself, Well, I mean, logistically, this has to come up a lot. Why aren't we
0: seeing it? Like, yeah, I mean, I know I'm unusually mesmerized by travel, and it's... You know, it's unusual that I am like, oh, travel is more fascinating than many other forms of storytelling. Like, it's, it's a little weird, right? And I get that. But I specifically do think the idea that the X-Men now are in a position where they have an unlimitedness to what's ahead of them. You know what I mean? There's nothing stopping the X-Men from going place to place, and they're not beholden by Nightcrawler teleporting or by Magic being able to get... Does, it, does anybody else remember when Magic had to be like, let me find the right stepping disc? Yes.
4: Yes. Does
0: anybody else remember when Magic had, like, limits to her abilities? Uh, and, I, again, and she wasn't just the Magic school bus?
4: I'm kind of okay with her progressing out of that. <laughs> that I frame. am too.
0: It's just a very of note.
4: Oh, it was, it's a definitely, it's an interesting contrast to who she is now, for sure.
5: She and Danny went through space and time and were too far into the future and saw all their classmates as hellions, (gasps) and that was their biggest problem. (laughs) Yeah,
0: I love when you go from being a new mutant to being an X-Man and your problems go from guys. No, you don't understand. It's really bad. One of us might die to everyone on Earth is dead. We're the only ones left. And like when they're in when they're in school and like, you know, they're learning to handle these things and they're all like, it's
5: one of us, one of us is going to turn evil and it's the worst that's happened.
0: And then like, you know, when they get to the X-Men, they're like, so we're all traitors and we just don't know it. Got it. Got it. It's just so interesting to hear that like that was their big problem. And now
4: Krakoa. Oddly enough, that's exactly why I miss a teen book. Yeah, for sure.
0: Agreed. A thousand percent. Honestly, for my money, Champions is spectacular when Marvel published that. So you've got a good four or five years of that to read through. It's not exactly X-Men, but uh, it's the best use of teen Scott ever. Yeah, it's a great
4: book. I am curious about what you guys feel about the whole Mars. I'm sorry, Arico situation, because I'm I I don't find anything wrong with what they're doing.
3: <laughs> oh no, I, I mean it's just sitting there. Nobody else was going to do anything with right. it. They, you know, go nuts. But that's like
0: I I don't mean this that. that okay here is my thought it's a little colonizery to be like we claim this planet no one else can use it it is ours now i've thought from day one that if the atlanteans claimed neptune the mutants would have a problem with it i've thought from day one if the vampires claimed the moon the x-men would have a problem with it and that's sort of the thing the shit the mutants are pulling they really wouldn't tolerate from anyone else I'm okay with
4: it too because
0: you know tell them no. I guess... go ahead, I'll wait.
4: <laughs> I guess this is like where the ultimate like minority power fantasy comes in because you know they're now in a situation where they can do this and I personally think it's better for Soul if they do take over, but that's just because I have such a high regard for these characters, I guess.
3: (laughs) You know, it is arrogant and it is problematic, but also, I mean, especially when Dawn of X was happening, there was a lot of repeating of like, we have been kept down for so long and we have finally found a way to flourish and we are going to fucking flourish. And that's not always a positive for everybody around you. Sometimes you steamroll some people. Sometimes you do some stuff that's questionable and it's reasonable to question that stuff and push back against it. And you know, it's, there are going to be battles the X-Men don't win, but I appreciate that we can do this. We've been told for so long that we shouldn't be doing anything, let alone something this grandiose. We're going to try it and we're going to flourish for a second. Like, let us do our thing.
4: Yeah, I think that's a really good way of looking at it, for sure. And again, I'm I'm here for it. Like, you know, tell them no, go ahead.
0: Like, I do believe that the X-Men have humanity's best interests at heart Uh, or in mind maybe they don't have them both not both (laughs) not two places there you cannot have those things in two places and still want the best for your own people i just i don't see it but what i do really really see is sword represented an opportunity for the x-men to make a decision that said marvel as a line is no longer going to keep x-men sequestered to certain places one of the things that the avengers has always done is and you know you can tell me that i'm i'm oversimplifying and i would agree that in cases i am but like defenders is basically magic avengers it's not but for the sake of the offices yeah it's kind of it's, it's a lot of the same characters but it's got a much more magical bed. And then there's Avengers. And you know what? Half the time there is an Avengers space title. Whether it's something like a Gamma Flight or it's something like uh, Secret Avengers, which dealt with space for a long period of time. The Avengers love space, right? And the Avengers do time travel. And, you know, the X-Men have never really had an opportunity to map space. They've done an arc here. They've done an arc there. They've started a story and then left it to another office. I think S.W.O.R.D. was kind of, in the most phallic way possible, dangling your bit at space and saying, here we are. And I think in that regard, the the title was a tremendous success for me. Again, I don't know that if a hardcover came out, I would be like, yes, those 11 issues, me, right? But- I would be like, I hope whoever buys that enjoys the thing that they have and I'm going to continue to read it on Comicsology, where I can put it where it goes to help remind me why any of this.
4: Nico, question. Is there a way you could look at a sword the way you look at New Mutants Volume 2? Uh, 3? Which one is it? 2? Two? 2. Sorry. Like, how it was like a precursor to New X-Men Academy oh, X? Well, yeah!
0: Oh, no! A thousand, uh, a, a thousand trillion! Like, but, um. like, at the same time... <laughs> I also think Sword kind of stands on its own as well. So one of the things that I think Sword benefited from was getting pandoed. Um, If I was going to be part of an era of great promise with some focus issues, I would want to get pandoed. I would want to get squished together where I didn't spin out of Empire where I was initially (sighs) hinted and love it have a more reasonable opinion of it empire happened and critics agree empire was printed and i think <laughs> with that in mind you know sort benefited from a couple of extra months to simmer not that i don't think al ewing is the bomb shit and not that valerio skeedy doesn't just bring it and shower it with gorgeous every time but sword being executed with such precision is going to probably be one of the things that i walk away most from with this book a technical respect for the function the book served in a moment in time it's not necessarily meant to be the title that you come home with every month and go this book this book but it's definitely one that will stick with me and i'm really glad marvel took the chance on putting the x-men in space
5: so here's the thing i think for as charles original mission charles wanted humans and mutants to cohabitate to be able to exist in a world where they t- together can flourish and make the world a better place and i think through the years time and time again marvel decided We're n- that dream's never coming true and in universe the world told charles that dream's never coming true and so i think the mutants are now focused on coexistence as opposed to cohabitation where they're willing to exist in a world with humans but they're no longer willing to say to themselves we are not lesser than you, and we will not take anything. We will not take your shit anymore. We are above all of you, and if they really wanted to, if their real mission was to actually take over the world, they probably could have done so by now. Truly, they could have, especially with their uh, unlocked secrets of resurrection. Do I think their terraforming of Mars was kind of like a flex? Absolutely. But I think it was a needed flex. I get why in-universe humans were upset by this, but nobody had- you can't claim a planet. You can't just say, well we sent a rover there that means we get to t- we get to be there first and the answer is no if you don't have the technology and someone else gets there first too bad so sad like too slow i don't know sometimes i feel like in universe some characters it's wild to think like there there are probably like articles of like us humans deserve to be on mars first we deserve to be the first life there and the the true the true answer to that is no someone else got there first and you can revel in the joy that mars is now habitable